Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Welcome, everyone, to the Spirit of EQ podcast. My name is Eric Pennington, and joining me as always is Jeff East with the Spirit of EQ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hello, Eric, and all the people out there. So, Jeff, um, there is this, and maybe it's not a trend anymore because it seems to have gone on a bit longer, and I, I might even say it's now getting into two years or so. It's probably around the time the pandemic really uh, began to take hold as part of everyday life, right? Which might've been the second half of 2020, mm-hmm. second half of 2020. I th- yeah. When people just realize this is not going to be over by yeah, February. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, and that is the idea of mental health in the workplace mm-hmm. and the impact that it has on the workplace, as well as, um, the need for resources inside the workplace for employees. And in many ways, when those things started bubbling up, um, it, it was it was encouraging for me personally because I'm thinking, okay, now maybe we're going to move away from the stigmatizing around mental health and get to a place where we see it as as valid as if I broke my ankle, I'd go see a podiatrist. Or if I had a, a mole on my skin that was looking odd, I would go to a dermatologist, mm-hmm. those kind of things. So I think that's very positive. Um, however, definitely new territory, right? uncharted land, right? Uh, because as you know, um, at least in the United States, we've done a poor job of addressing mental mental health. Exactly, yes. You know, we, we've allowed it. Up until, again, recently, we've stigmatized it and we've kind of sort of herded people who had challenges with it into the corner of the room and we kind of hope they'd get some help. But don't get too close to them because, you know, you don't want that thing. It's almost like we acted like it was contagious in a way Mm -hmm. uh, because I know that a lot of times the motivation was around, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to help. So I think, again, it, it, it left us in that, that place. Yeah, and I think because of our nature, you know, I want to help, but I have no clue what to do. Yeah, yeah. So from your perspective, um, what do you think is behind the, the trend uh, of this, um, you know, where more and more employers are being very, very focused in on offering resources around mental health. I, I think the employers that 
do have an honest concern for their employees, right. their their coworkers. This has been a time that they've had to step back from everything that's normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, working from home. You know, most of your staff working from home. And if they do come into work, they have to wear masks. You know, the whole mm-hmm. thing. It's just a whole new thing that they have to look at. They've never really had to look at it as deeply as they do now. Yes. I that, I, did that, I, I don't know if that made sense or not. Yeah, but, it does. So they've been forced to, and they've, um, in some ways, they might have had the time because they don't have the people right with them, like the work from home. Well, I I think when we look generationally, um, you know, the millennial generation and the Gen Z, and I don't know what they're called from a term, so bear with me in that regard. Um, I think their culture is more rooted around, hey, look, I'm not going to be this person who's just going to kill myself mm-hmm. for this career move. Um, and more than likely because they watch their parents do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we were in a different time and place, if this might have occurred 20 years ago, um, I, I would I would dare say I think it would have been even worse. Um, mm-hmm. Because as you know, Jeff, uh, the baby boomers and the Gen Xers are very much the, you just work harder. You just push. You just keep at it. <laughs> you know, rub it off and just keep going. <laughs> yeah, right? Just wipe it off and keep moving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very, uh, you know, I feel very much a, a um, an affinity for the millennial generation and Gen Z's because it's almost in many ways they're saying, I'm not going to let this ruin my life. I, I, I want a good life. And part of that good life is to be healthy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think, you know, employers can ignore certain demands for a little while, um, but that's the other big change in our culture, at least in the United States, um, there are not enough employees for the positions that are open. No, there's not. Right? So that makes it an employee market. So if the employee who has the skills and the knowledge or whatever says, I am talking to you and I'm also talking to these two other companies and I want to know what kind of mental health resources do you provide – well, if you say, well, we have an 800 number that you can call if you need to talk to somebody. And the other two, well, we offer yoga, we offer uh, the counseling, we also have an online at will counseling, we also have different development programs, you know, where we bring in experts to talk about. Well, that is going to put you at a competitive disadvantage. You know, there's, there's a company here in Columbus called Worthington Industries. Mm-hmm. They offer all those things. Right. And they've been voted the best company to work for for 10 years in a row, I think. Yeah. Well, and I I think, um, you know, and and I want to be careful because you can offer all kinds of things, you know, like a menu at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And I do understand that they have to be good and they have to be something that is compelling enough to get the person to take advantage of them. I get it. Because I know that, you know, I remember many, many years ago, you know, a free, you know, gym membership. 
And it's like, okay, uh, well, what if I don't like going to the gym? Um, and, and that's a key point here, Jeff, is that I don't think it's wise to define um, what is helpful and beneficial for the entirety of the population. Yeah. There has to be some flexibility and some creativity around that. Um, and I know you can't satisfy every single person individually, mm-hmm. but if your idea of physical fitness or physical health is a gym membership, I think you're missing the boat. Yeah, I think what the, the company organization has to do is they have to mean it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That motivation needs to be exhibited by authenticity. Yeah, okay, right? we, you know, and working in the business world, there's so many things that get done. The only reason they get done is you have to check the box off. Yeah. Okay, right. so all the companies are offering this kind of counseling. So, but I hope nobody takes it instead of, mm-hmm. hey, we have this here for you. Yes. You know, well, that's and, the difference, I think. Yeah, and, um, I heard this once uh, from uh, one of our partners, and he was being asked, "Okay, so what kind of uh, what kind of company is a good fit for Spirit of EQ?" And he threw out three he threw out three different descriptors. Right, mm-hmm. it was the third one that was really powerful. He said that the leaders see their people. Mm. And I thought that was so profound, Jeff, because to see someone means I'm not looking past you. I'm not like frustrated that you're in my way. I'm like, I see you. And I, and I see you in a way that is safe. And I can say I worked for him in a whole different industry right. before, and I believe him when he said that because that's what he did his best to do. And that's... Yeah. That's what that culture, I, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but that's kind of what he really wanted to see from managers too. Not just yeah. from not just him, yeah. he wanted everybody to have that. Yeah, and I and I think that's representative of of a better I mean, that's when you're getting into where the resources that you offer to employees become much more powerful because of the motivation behind them. Um, I think if you're going through the exercise of checking boxes, you're you're leaving yourself open to uh, your usage level will be really low, mm-hmm. right? Participation. Um, and quite frankly, and and this is the part where I think leaders really need to be they need to be humble. If you've had a culture of, and maybe this is pre-pandemic, right? If you've had a culture of people are a means to an end or people, you know, we we randomly do things that are in the best interest of the company and be damned the employee. I'm not here to judge about the decisions that a publicly traded company makes, but I can say to you from experience, if I sniff for a moment that it's all about you and I'm only going to succeed as long as you allow or feel convenient for me to succeed, I'm not saying I'm marching out the door immediately, but my trust level is tremendously, tremendously low. Right. It's 
yeah, have the tools, but are they willing to use the tools? Yeah. You know, I've seen instances where a company maybe you know invested a lot of money in training their managers in emotional intelligence or or, or whatever. But no encouragement was made for them to use what they learned. You know, they they didn't allow, they didn't want employees to come to the manager when they had issues. Mm. Okay, we know all this stuff, but they just keep it, you know, in a drawer. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, that's that's kind of a good pivot point to where this lands inside of uh, the work that we do with emotional intelligence. And for the audience and Jeff, for you and I, just from a uh, sort of a launching point, um, we see emotional intelligence as being that tool, that learnable skill. Mm -hmm. It's probably the better way to say it. um, That if you're in a stable place, um, and I mean that to mean someone that maybe your issues are rooted around communication. You, you want to say it the right way, but you typically, your anger kicks in and, and you're finding yourself reacting and then you're having to clean up two more messes, right? <laughs> yes. Um, or you might be in a case where you're not, um, you're not sure exactly, well, how do I express empathy for someone that works for me? You know, what, what are the, what, what, what's behind that? So if you're someone that's stable in that regard, mm-hmm. These tools, uh, excuse me again, I'm going to stick with the, it's a, this learnable skill of emotional intelligence mm-hmm. can power you into uh, a, a much better level of decision making. And we know that as we become better at decision making, performance and results follow. And when you talk about decision making, we sometimes, like in the business setting, okay, this decision is, you know, it's logistic. It's a logistic decision, but if you make a decision to, okay, I see, okay, I'm 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 Eric's supervisor, and I see that Eric is not doing well today. I have to make a decision to go to Eric and say, "Are you all right?" and mean it. You know, so the decisions that we're talking about sometimes are those little ones. Oh, oftentimes those are the biggest ones. Yes, right, uh, because you know, at the end of the day. Um, your, um, I mean, it's the essence of what leadership is all about. It's, you know, I, I kind of use this term or maybe it's an analogy of, uh, you know, are your people following you because they have to, or because they want to? And why do they want to? Yeah. Right. And do they follow you because you have a title and you have power or do they follow you because they believe in you? They believe in in what you stand for. You have their back. Yeah, right? Now, I want to make it very clear. It is not the responsibility of a supervisor, manager, senior leader, whatever you want to call it, to make employees happy, to own their path. But you do have a responsibility of influencing in such a way that inspires them to do things that lead to positive results for the company and for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. That's an influence thing. And that comes into the play that if you observe someone that's not doing well, the better decision, maybe the most optimal decision, is to go to them. Mm -hmm. Not go the other way and say, hey, I I don't know what, you know, it's none of my business, right? As if you can operate in a vacuum and they're over here. 
because <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Um, so when we talk about emotional intelligence and the type of work that we do, it is designed for a long-term engagement where they can move from sort of the intellectual, I get the information, I understand what it means, to now I'm going to build a practice around it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use this so that when I observe someone who's not doing well, oh, this is the part where I can pull out the tool of empathy. And I'm going to use it in the following way. And the reason why I use it in the following way is because I have been practicing on how and the meaning of and, and the power of empathy. That comes over time. As you and I have talked about it many times, Jeff, the idea that you can come in and do a two-hour workshop and then magically the next day, <laughs> behaviors change. <laughs> well, y- y- <laughs> go back to the training that, that you and I both had to go through to get to use the assessment tools we use. Yeah, the certifications, yeah. It's not two hours. No, no, <laughs> and, and, and nor should it be. So our argument and sort of our, our, I don't want to use the word proposition, but maybe it's our call to action is rooted around that, yes, we need to learn intellectually. We need to be able to grasp those concepts and put them together. And then we need to go to work on moving toward behavior change. Mm Mm-hmm. So that, again, like I said, in the case of an employee that's not doing well, or if it's, okay, we're in a heated meeting and a discussion about whether we go left or go right, it's it's taking a tool out of consequential thinking, taking a tool out of navigate emotions, okay, whatever that may be. Um, I, I want to yeah. – quick point. We've been talking about employees that, or people that might be struggling with something. Have you used your empathy – for encouragement when you see, man, Eric is just really happy today. What's going on? Mm. Let me find out, and I I, I want to support that. Yeah, yeah, because um, we we spoke about uh, a video interview uh, with um, Brene Brown uh, and some of her work, and and the part about this idea about how do you how do you understand where somebody is at, mm-hmm. and in that case. And here's a great example, right? Um, let's say that, Jeff, um, I work for you. You're my boss, right? And you see me performing at a high level. And your approach is, uh, well, he knows he's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. He got a bonus last quarter. Yeah, he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. But what if you were Jeff East who said what you just described? Hey, Eric, would you... Let's go get a cup of coffee. I want to. I want to sit down with you. I want to hear your story about the things you're doing because your performance is really, really high, and we love it. But I want to hear your story. You do. Yeah. You know, you can imagine that employee going. I mean, the lift mm-hmm. of wow! I get to tell them my story. And, and the ha- key thing, and again, credit to Brene Brown, is that let them tell you their story and believe them. And believe them. And how much effort would it take a leader to do that? Something like that. Well, we we that that could be because I have some. I, I I can remember and I I I've seen it. I mean, and everybody's got their own journey that they're working through in these things. Um, because, in credit to those people who feel like I don't have time to do that, 
when you're feeling the pressures of depending on how high up in an organization you might be, whether it be from the next level of management, whether it be a board of directors, would it be, you know, the, the, the just the market forces and all those different mm-hmm. things. Now, that's going to be there regardless. Jerk, empath, caring, non-caring, whatever you want. It's good. Those circumstances are always going to be there. I am in your camp. Okay. Um, unless you're involved in negotiating peace between Russia and Ukraine, uh-huh. I will give you a pass on this one if you're involved in that. Right. But the majority of leaders, and again, Jeff, I'm, I, I imagine you're not talking about a publicly traded company CEO. Mm-hmm. We're talking about probably middle-level management who mm-hmm. has a, you know, eight or nine direct reports, and maybe they have direct reports. I think you would have you can make time. And what I'm thinking what when I've been able to do that when I did it you're doing it in this case it, it, I'm not going I don't want to use the word selfish but you're gaining a benefit from it too because oh, of course if you're really listening to the true story like you said what's that going to do for you? Okay, yeah. I'm I'm succeeding here. Yeah. This this person is you know I'm I'm allowing this person to fulfill what they can be. Yeah, and to be straight up with that, Jeff, I mean, I think the best opportunity for learning is from people's different story. Mm -hmm. You know, inside our selfishness, we always want people to think like us, act like us, Mm -hmm. all that. We we think that that's the key. Let's find people that see the world the way we do. Typically, not a lot of learning there. Because no. a lot in those cases is pretty much a mutual admiration society, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. Yes, I agree too, Aaron. <laughs> you know, okay. Well, maybe, maybe you should talk to some people where you don't know what their story is, and you don't know if they see the world the way you do. But you can learn. That is a gateway to learning. So, kind of to sum it up a bit, as it relates to the work, um, we see our our work as an essential part of this mental health well-being trend right mm-hmm. in the workplace because we think we're a, a foundational tool and and you might audience might have wondered well you you mentioned levels and you said you're you're talking about people stable and on and on the reason i do that it's in due respect for people who have deeper issues that go beyond what we are able to address exactly yes because we are not clinicians we don't offer clinical help um and I would highly encourage if you find that, wait a minute, the ditch I'm in or the rut I'm in or the slump I'm in has been lasting for an extended period of time and I can't seem – if you're in that place, that's – the first stop is a clinician. I, I think sometimes while I've seen this in people, just we can – what we do maybe started the path for them to go mm-hmm. that next step. Yeah. You yeah, know. it definitely can be that. It definitely could be that. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned that, Jeff, because um, I think it's a healthy catalyst mm-hmm. in that journey of self-knowledge. You know, um, the key is, and, and we focus in on this heavily, we're trauma-informed and we create safe places, psychologically safe places, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's very, very important for that because you're right. Someone could have do an assessment, get a debrief, 
begin maybe the first group session in a cohort and go, I think I really need somebody in a clinical environment that, that can help me with. And it doesn't mean you can't do both. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not an either or type right. thing. It just means we want to make sure that you understand that. Uh, and, and we've had this happen, right? You know, in the session, and I can recall this specifically, how do you deal with this trauma of this happening and when you were this age? And I had to say, you know, I appreciate and validate you having the courage to bring that up, but I can't offer you any clinical input on that. Yeah, That's something that's suited for a clinician. Um, those kind of things, I think, um, you know, I, my hope is, is that you come through this process, this journey that you're on, and it's a journey of self-knowledge. It's a journey of, hey, this is an area that, you know, I need to look at. I, I need to pay attention to this. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think it's what I've discovered in my journey with emotional intelligence is there's so much of it that is directed inward. Mm-hmm. Yep. And sometimes it's not pretty. Mm. But that's the time when maybe, okay, I need – this is what I need to work on. We've uh, – my wife and I have been listening to a gentleman by the name of Danny Silk. I believe he goes by Danny. It might be Daniel Silk. Um he is. Um, I'll spare you the the, the background because I don't know a ton about him outside of what my wife has introduced me to. But he said something in a in a clip that we were watching about the difference between someone who is powerful and someone who is powerless. Mm. And he defined it in in this way: a powerless person believes they have no options; they have no choices. The roads are blocked. Um, Jeff and Eric, if you would just do this, then my life would be better. My mom and dad didn't do this for me, so it's impossible for me to do these things. And he, he described that in a way that it wasn't insulting. It just is a describing of, of a mindset. And the mindset of a powerless person typically needs that villain and that hero in their story. Mm-hmm. And what they miss, right, is that, you know, you're supposed to be powerful. And he makes very wise approach that powerful does not mean I'm in charge, I tell people what to do, I'm stronger than you. Powerful is I have this life that I've been given and I've been given responsibility for it and I need to take care of it. I need to manage it. I need to be the one that makes good choices for it. That's powerful. And you know, I've I've met people and I've I've seen people that maybe I made assumptions with public life that they have a lot of power. Maybe this is what you said. I'm just saying it different. But they're really powerless in their situation. Mm-hmm. Everybody, okay, this person is does all these great things, yeah. and that's all they're good for. And if they don't do it, you know, we're going to think bad about them. Well, and he didn't necessarily say it directly this way, but I think, Jeff, we've, we've read many, many stories of people who did phenomenal things, scaled heights that were like, oh, my gosh, to discover that they were very powerless. Mm-hmm. We, we make easy assumptions and judgments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we oftentimes, we miss the opportunity to look behind the veil 
um, <laughs> to, to take time to, and again, I don't say that as a, uh, ah, caught you. You're not as good as you said you were. I'm talking about for understanding, for empathy, you know, and for curiosity. It, and in our, in our culture, it's more like you're not as good as everybody says you are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean that loop gets created. I think in many respects, from a societal standpoint, I believe from social media, it, it creates an illusion of uh, because at the end of the day, Jeff, right? Um, it is not healthy. I and I I've been there. I mean I've been in relationships where the person was powerless, and I've been in a situation where I wanted to be the rescuer, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to fix it for them. But everyone has been assigned power. Everyone who is alive today is either in process, a la a child moving through the, the, the years to toward adulthood. Mm-hmm. When, you give an, when you become an adult, it's like the baton of power is now passed to you. <laughs> you know, you're the one that needs to manage this life you've been given. I, I'll never forget, I think, the first time when I realized I was adult. First apartment, the he the furnace kicked on, and I go, I got to pay for that. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> and I don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Jeff, as we pivot toward the end, um, so practically speaking, I mean, obviously, anybody that listens to our show, they know how to get in touch with us if they have an interest in learning about the work that we do and how we help organizations and individuals. But what are some other things that you might recommend that an individual do that wants to really strengthen the mental health side of, of who they are? We've talked about it, but do some, you know, uh, an internal inventory maybe. Mm, That's good. You know, really, I think one of the, one of the best, Starting competencies we have is emotional literacy. Mm-hmm. You know, sit there and, and what am I really feeling? What is really going on? And what is that telling me? Yeah. And you know, you can do it a million different ways. You know, whatever works for you. And certainly, be curious as the outcomes to or the answers to mm-hmm. those questions, right? Because mm-hmm. you and I have experienced this with um, clients, right? Where if they discover something that they feel is not so pretty. They want to judge themselves. Mm-hmm. So just had to add that. Yeah, you're just – in our model of emotional intelligence, the assessment tools that we use, they're what you say about yourself. Mm-hmm. And and just think about that as you're going through. You know, This is what you said. You said that or if you're not using the tools, you know, I'm feeling this. It's okay. This is who I am. So I think that's the first step is really get that grounding or that starting point. Um, there's just, you know, you can do a program, like you said, working with us. Um, pay attention to who you're listening to or hanging out with. Yeah. Yeah. If, and I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's. If, if all you're doing is looking at social media that's doom and gloom. Stop it. If you're only associating with people that are doom and gloom, mm-hmm. you know, maybe. That's a tense rub off. Yeah. So look at who you're paying attention to. Listen, look at what you're reading or listening to. 
I would also add to that list, um, think about what you're eating and think about your exercise mm -hmm. approach because um, there is science around the impact that certain types of food have on our mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't, obviously, we're not going to do a show today about that. Um, but there's also research proven, right? Many, many studies about the impact of exercise on mental well-being. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I, I would I would highly recommend that. And then, you know, Jeff, I would also say that you need to add to your sort of your contact list a, a good, strong clinician. Mm -hmm. You may not need to visit them on a frequent, regular basis in this season, but most people I know, myself included, I had a season, I needed it, mm -hmm. and I had one. And I think they're, they should be thought of no differently than you think of the cardiologist, the endocrinologist, the, the, uh, <laughs> fill in, the dentist, uh, orthodontist, whatever it may be. They're there, and they, they should be uh, something that you have availability to. And, uh, you know, I shared that in one of the episodes about my struggles with anxiety. Right. And uh, the other thing, you know, whatever the individual is doing, and you, people, you're probably hear, tired of hearing us saying this word practice, mm -hmm. but practice. Whatever you decide. When I was dealing with what I dealt with, I had to make a practice of things. And I've fallen away from it a couple of times and suffered the consequences. So yeah. do it. Yeah, that's 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 a great one. Um I think I'd also throw out um the the it's kind of that reality of of like taking it seriously. Mm. Right? Um you know, I know in some situations, you know, you know, I remember my daughter um who's uh 23 just how our friends, you know, just throw out, I'm in therapy. And they throw it out like it's uh, it's just like a, a social thing. Rite of passage. Yeah, or, or kind of more like that, you know, oh, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm taking Pilates. I'm okay. Pilates. It, it was kind of that kind of thing. And, I, and I'm going, wait a minute. No, they should take this seriously. I mean, because I used this example with her. I said, you know, one of the key things for me is I, you know, decided on who I was going to go to for clinical help. Yeah. Am I going to have to do some work? Mm -hmm. And I did between sessions. Here's what I want you to work on. So when we meet again, we can talk about the results of that. It's not just a, oh, you know what? It's Friday at two o'clock. Let me, I'm going to go see my clinician. No, we should take this very seriously. Um, because the repercussions of not taking it seriously, I mean, they can be really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just we should we should take it very seriously. Yeah. So with that, comes to the end of our show today. Really appreciate you tuning in. We look forward to the next time we're together. Take care. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So yes. how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them. So 
reviews on all of the platforms wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. You think that'd be good? I think that would be great because one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So to we're, hear. we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay. But, all right. But, but not, still, not totally we want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it'll, it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.